0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of CX Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chizana. Tune in each week as we listen to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world sharing their personal stories about their teams, tools, process, and feedback. Check us out at CXChronicles.com today or listen on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. to unlock your business's full potential? Join the global community of high-performing, customer-facing and sales teams and leaders who trust time to replies, email optimization, and analytics software to delight their customers and boost sales. Would you like to get 100% visibility of your team's email performance? Does your MPS tell you that customer satisfaction could do with some TLC? Are you burning leads because your team takes forever getting back to prospects? If you painfully side out yes, don't worry, time to reply is here to help. Their software empowers your team members to perform at their best all the time by showing them all of their live email stats and automatically prioritizing the emails and leads they need to attend to next. They'll never breach an SLA or burn a lead again. All of this happens without them leaving their inbox. Outlook, Office 365, and Google Workspace. No change to workflow, no training, instant insights and stellar results. Team managers get real-time dashboards to track metrics like reply times, email volumes, resolution times, close rates, and follow-up cadences across shared and individual mailboxes. Leaderboards show who's on and who needs a nudge. Never feel like you're in the dark again. Get in touch with today's sponsor, Time to Reply, and get a personalized demo. Visit their website at www.timetoreply.com backslash CXE. Let them know that you heard about them on the CH Chronicles podcast. Don't just keep up, lead the way. Hey guys, are you looking for ways that you can improve your company's customer experience, customer success, and revenue operations? Then reach out to CX Chronicles. We created CXE after years of being practitioners ourselves, experiencing firsthand the challenges and opportunities of building and managing CXCS revenue operations team from the ground up at a scaling organization. Why work with CX Chronicles? Number one, you get executive level expertise and credibility from day one. We jump in and ramp up as quickly as you need us. Number two, you get actionable CTAs that will maximize your CX and CS ROI. We investigate and audit the economics of your existing CX and CS structure and determine how it can be optimized. And number three, check out our amazing CX and CS focused SaaS partners. We're working with Salesforce, HubSpot, Sturdy, Zendesk, customers help scout churn zero freshworks and more reach out to Cxe today guys all right guys thanks so much for listening to another episode of the ch chronicles podcast i'm your host adrian brady Shazana. super excited for today's show guys we have jason barrow joining us jason is a partner at banico and the founder of nps prism so super excited to have you on the show today jason why don't you say hello to the cx nation my friend
1: hi everybody yeah no thanks so much for having me on uh super excited to talk about what we've been
0: doing 100% man so Jason I'm going to let you start off today's show like we start off all these episodes um before we get into some of the incredible things you guys are doing at Bain and some of the incredible things you're doing at NPS Prism give the listeners a sense for how, some of the stepping stones in your own career man before Bain and before NPS Prism how did you get into some of the work that you're doing today and what were some of like the early experiences or the early positions that you held that really kind of got you to sort of where you are today
1: yeah, I've been, so I've been at Bain a very long time now. I've been at Bain about 20 years. Um, I was actually a slightly unusual path to Bain. I'm I'm an economist by training, so I have an economics PhD and thought I was going to be an academic um, and decided I didn't want to do that uh, for my career a few years in uh, to being a professor and came over to Bain. Um, and very early on in my Bain days, I got pulled into this type of customer experience work, which has led to what I'm doing at NPS Prism and at Bain broadly. And I've I've had some experience opportunities, obviously, along the way to bring some of my academic training into the types of business things that I've been doing. And some of the analytics and data type things that we're doing at NPS Prism, obviously, my academic background from very long time ago is, has helped on on some of those dimensions that's
0: awesome so so number one i just think like um you know thinking about economics it's funny a lot of cx leaders we are literally segmenting and we're stratifying and we're trying to almost present all these different potential options just like an economist would right and then some of them are right some of them are wrong and a lot of times it's about the good and the bad and the ugly of the products or the services we are selling but i i think you might officially be the first uh, former economist that Terry did was TX leader. Uh, so that's awesome. Right. It's an awesome start, but it must have been a fantastic way to just kind of start Isn't thinking it? about some of the stuff that you you ended up building with NPS Prism early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, the, the way I think about how, why companies do well, why markets move the way that they move, a lot of that comes from my economics training and a lot of the types of things we're doing around when your customers like you more you grow faster you gain share a lot of that is a lot of those same types of underlying dynamics of just how markets work makes this a very natural fit for the types of things I'd always been thinking about
0: a hundred percent you know and I, it's it's worth calling out too you are um you are the se- second second bane. Vein- partner that we've been fortunate to have on the show. We did have your good friend, Fred Reichel on. Uh, this is yeah. wild, Jason. This was early on, I think, uh, CS Chronicles podcast, episode 150. And just for some of our listeners yeah. that don't know, Fred was basically, for lack of a better term, he was one of the one of the OGs of getting MPS right. out there into the world, doing what you just said too, where he gave so yeah. many leading companies um, a, a, a methodology that would allow them to kind of have a more mathematical sense for whether or not people really were liking what they were getting or maybe if they weren't or if they were falling into that that neutral camp of where they weren't either way which is a whole other problem that you got to think about as you're growing a business but um um I I want to talk about NPS Prism man and, and and we'll hop into yeah. the into the four pillars but I'd love for you to just share for us before we jump into that first pillar of team and talk with us a little bit about how you got NPS Prism going and what were some of those early days like and what what kind of got you and your your your, your initial team To start thinking about how to kind of attack the space how to potentially help other companies with just managing and acting upon their 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 feedback i'd love for you just to kind of understand what the early days of mps prism kind of looked like
1: yeah so you know in in my days pre mps prism at bain i was helping companies do what we called customer experience transformation work and and what that really meant was helping companies really fully understand how their company, how their customers felt, why they felt the way they did, how much it was worth to have their customers feel better about them, and how to actually drive improvements—what to fix, what not to fix, where to go, invent new things—that's what we were always doing. And at the heart of all of that, we always had, a lot of my clients were having what I always called data debates. Like they, it wasn't that they couldn't execute on the plan; they actually didn't yet know what the plan should be. They, they couldn't identify, do their customers really like them, yes or no, relative to the competition? If they didn't like them or did like them, why were they liking them? Which pieces of the experience mattered more than others? Were they good or not good at those? And where was all the money? And they would debate all of these things all the time. And they would have lots of arguments around, well, how fast is fast enough and how nice is nice enough? And then they wouldn't end up doing anything. And so we started to build these fact bases for our clients. This is what's at the heart of MPS prism. Now we would build these very large, expensive, double blind, competitive research things that were basically giving them clarity on the answers to exactly those questions. Where do they really stand relative to the competitor set? Why do they stand where they do and how much is it worth for them to be in a better place? And if you could land all of those facts and have the senior teams aligned on them they could actually go and fix stuff and change things and have their customers actually like them more and they can grow faster and it became clear over the years that that type of fact base was super helpful but it's super hard it takes a very long time to build and it's super expensive for any one company to build these things at the scale that's required to do them Like the version that we build for banking in the US now, we survey like 150,000 people a year to get enough enough depth all the way down to the places where you want it. And any one company doesn't wanna spend that much money to build these things. And so where Prism came about was, well, wouldn't it be easier if we just had these built in a consortium, we can sort of enable us to build the very large versions of these and spread the cost out through the industry. And so that's where it came from. And we started four years ago, we started pre-COVID. We built uh, banking in the U.S. first, and we showed that we could build this in that type of model. And companies really like it. It gives them access to versions of this type of thing that they would never be able to do themselves or maintain themselves. And so this is how we've been building the business and we've just been building across different industries across different geographies and building out this business sort of as fast as we can across all the places where we can build this type of thing
0: i love it man number one um, i just think it's amazing even me and you were joking around around about this last week is and then guys full canter my i may or may not have to get mr barrow back on the show here because my microphone may or may not have been acting up the last time we tried to do this for all of you but well Jason, oh, okay. do you remember what well, we were joking around the last time we chatted though like same type of thing that i've seen on my journey man there's so many different businesses out there who understand um nps at a high level they understand that it's a good measure to have i think a lot of i think a lot of uh venture back growth focused executives are probably trying to appease investors or maybe they're trying to appease some right. other type of audience where they may not totally understand what you're trying to get out of it you know they know that it's good to have a number based on what my, what our customers kind of think as far as sentiment goes but it's so much deeper than that number one uh, to what you just called out, there's so many different ways you can deploy um, an MPS model across a journey, right? It's not always about um, the, whole, the whole end-to-end picture. Sometimes it can be about onboarding. Sometimes it can be about specific parts of a journey. So you can get dialed on some of this. Here's the other thing that I was joking with you about. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but like a lot of companies, although it's a very sy- simple system MPS, right? Right. Uh, um, many companies, their, their math is incorrect or they don't necessarily know how to calculate Or to your point, some of the incredible stuff that you and the team at MPS Prism are doing, they don't necessarily know some of the actual data mechanics required to be able to yield usable results. You mentioned like deploying 150,000 surveys to get to a really comfortable sample. Makes a ton of sense to me, but like you'll see some of these growth-focused companies out there where, well, we've gotten 50 MPS responses and we're in the 80s, so we're crushing it. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe right now with that little teeny tiny cohort of 80 customers that happen to fall in between a certain day and time and place. But like, this yeah. is an ongoing thing, right? This is an ongoing measure. This is also a fantastic way of seeing sort of what customer sentiment looks like at different cuts in time as your business evolves and as your service and your products
1: evolve. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, the simple thing is you want the voice of the customer into the decision making at any company. Like, are you really, it comes out, are your customers happy or not happy? Yep. And it's not always just about how they feel about you, but how they feel about the alternatives to you. Like there are some times when NPS of 60 is really good, but if you're an NPS 60 player in a market where the competition's at 80, you're not doing very well. It's work to do. And, and you know, you're, your customers are constantly seeking the better and better alternatives. And if you're not the best alternative for them, then they are looking. Yep. And that's the dynamic you're trying to fix. Like truly happy customers where they know that you're the best of their choice set. They don't yep. look around and they act as your advertising dollars. They go and tell their friends about you. They're like, you're crazy if you don't do business here. Yep. And that type of di- that's what Fred figured out years and years ago, is that the companies who really seem to have figured this out they, so they basically learn that the, cu- the customers who like you the most, they buy more, they stay longer, and they bring their friends with them. Yep. And like, at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to figure out. And you just need to be able to know, do they really like you or not like you and why? Yep. And so there are lots of ways to get at that. And there are lots of different times you might want to ask and different populations you might want to ask. But at the heart, that's what you need to know as a business owner. 100%. 100%.
0: Um, Jason, I'd love to dive into that first CX pillar of team. And you can answer this however you like, because I know that number one, you and your team at MPS Prism and at Bain work with a ton of different companies. But for okay. the first pillar of team, I'd love to just kind of pick your brain in terms of your own customer focused business leader journey. Um, I'd love to just kind of hear you talk about some of the things that you've seen, you know, excellent world class, super high performing teams what are like the two or three big areas of focus or big areas of investment that you've seen time and time and time again across different industries, different company sizes? I'd love to just kind of hear how you kind of think about that first pillar of team.
1: So you mean, just to clarify, so you mean teams like the companies who are- using Internal the, teams, data? yeah.
0: I mean, a lot of times, like I, I know, like, like um, and it doesn't just have to be the CX or the team, but I'm talking about the internal team of individuals who is really getting your product and services out there, managing your customer relationships, and outside of like MPS, doing a lot of the customer listening and the the phone calls, the sales calls, the check-in calls, the QBRs. Just the general like internal team that's helping to deliver and to and really to kind of knock it out of the park with your products and services.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it's similar to the types of things I tell my clients. Like, number one, we have to be building good product. We have to know that it's good. Like, are we building robust sets of data that are providing the insights that our clients want, yes or no? Yep. we building things that don't have mistakes in it and that type of thing. Like, there's just sort of a product quality element that matters a lot. And can we build high quality things fast and make it really easy for our clients to use them? One of the things from a product perspective, our data has so much in it, it can be very hard to use. It can feel like getting lost in it. So, how do we maintain the depth of the data while not having people feel like they have to, you know, have 12 years of graduate work to be able to understand what our data looks like? Like, they, and so there's a product side to this. Like, are we building the product right and at the right high quality? Right. And then there's all of the things that we do around servicing our clients. Like, are our clients getting out of the services what they need? Like or when the data is saying something that is controversial for them as a company, how do we help them manage that? How do you know how do we help deli- help them deliver not like when the data says exactly what you want it to say? This is super easy. Yep. But the the really important thing is there are times when the data will tell a company they have to go do something new. They have to go fix something. Those messages can really be quite complicated, but that's where the value is. And so us helping to identify those conversations and understanding the dynamics in our clients so that the hard news doesn't just disappear and all they ever hear is the good stuff because that's not worth anything. And so we so in addition to just building good product, we want a servicing team, someone who's there to make sure our clients aren't getting lost in the product having conversations about what we think the data says and therefore what they should be doing. And if we are landing those types of things, if we are delivering the best product with the right level of servicing, again, our clients are gonna be very happy and they will keep coming back and they will feel like we are an important part of how they run a business. And that's what we're aiming for. And it's the same thing I would tell any of my clients. It's like, do you know if your customers are happy? You know, if they're not, why they're not, and what would you would do about it? And it's the same principle that we apply for running our own shop here.
0: And it's me. I love I love this point you're bringing up because it's amazing how many companies, even big even big companies, even companies out there that are technically crushing it—they're doing tens of millions of dollars of annual revenue. You ask them that question that you just asked right there. Hey, executive, are your customers happy, or how do you know if your customers are happy? There's a ton of companies out there that can't always answer that with the highest level of confidence they might have some measures right and I know that every every executive team will always kind of look back and they'll say well Jason and Adrian we've been up into the right for the last five years so that's telling me that the market maybe but then like you're right this question that you bring up is really interesting because for companies that aren't digging in and aren't understanding the intricacies of sort of what's happening over time especially I know I mentioned like especially if a company knows their, 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 their their user or their customer segments and cohorts extremely well, where they can start to measure over time and they can almost zoom the camera in for lack of a better term on specific gear. For example, like maybe there was a big product change. Maybe there was a big, huge pricing change. Maybe there was an an executive leadership shakeup and there's a brand new hot, sexy CEO that came in off the street to take over the bit. All of those things, all those activities theoretically are catalysts for movement, right? And not just with NPS, but, with all of these other different metrics that can kind of help, um, you know, business owner or a business leadership team understand what do our customers think about us? Are they, are they, are they, are we closer to being loved or are we closer to being hated? Are we somewhere in the middle? And then, and then really kind of based on what type of actual sentiment or what type of um, um, more, more qualitative feedback you're getting, understanding some of the tags and some of the news, uh, the nuances of, what they're talking about, are they talking about product? Are they talking about pricing? Are they talking about onboarding? Are they talking about cut support? Like what are the what are the buzzwords or the key themes that they're talking about that keep kind of coming back back around? This is the stuff that if you know how to manage this and if you know how to really kind of lever that, that can be an incredible um um, um, um growth piece for your business and for your team to really kind of leverage.
1: Oh yeah. And there are a couple other angles to that. And number one, and this is what Fred always says no one ever runs their business blind to the financial metrics. Yep. Like everybody always knows how to divide a gross margin across all the pieces of your business. Like everybody has that down to the penny. Yep. What, what we are been trying to push for a long time is you should have the same rigor in your customer metrics that you had in your financial ones, because the customer metrics are actually your strongest predictor of financial health going forward. Yep. And so you should, view those types of metrics and manage them the same way you're managing all of your gap financials. Yep. And that's been one of the pushes that we would have. I'd say the other thing is that even when you get good at that, you can't only look at your own customers. You have to be asking yourself, what is the competition doing? And in particular, you have to know if there are new entrants that are about to be quite disruptive to your business model and you have to know when you're responding and reacting to either old competitors who are doing new things or new competitors who are doing new things one of the most consistent themes that we have with our prison clients is the the new entrants in the world like the banks who are suddenly surprised by all the rise of digital banking yep. and new digital players and you know digital retail and all of these things which have come and dramatically changed the way that those markets work a lot of companies only ever looked at themselves compared to their traditional competitor set, and the customers don't think of it that way. The customer's view of the competitor set is a lot broader than most of these companies think of it as, and so you have to expand and think about the world the way your customers do.
0: Yep, I love I love that point. I think it's um. Uh, uh, there's been so many companies in there that we've worked with at CXC, and I know Jason, you told me the same thing with with your experience, but like not only are there a number of different companies out there that maybe aren't, maybe aren't even calculating or, or, or sort of executing or, or minimally acting upon the gains or the things that they're yielding from their MPS. um, The competitive MPS is an area where there's some people that I've had conversations with people who are like competitive NPS. What do you mean? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Do we know who our top three competitors are today? Especially when you're, when you're a growth businessman and you're like, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of the people that we have in this show are close to, you know, the venture side, and they're building tomorrow's leading companies and all this. Even more of a, of, of, of a, of a, prime reason to understand who else is trying to really kind of take over the space, or who else is building products or building services that are going to be aligned with your ICP or your prospects or the same guys and gals that you're going to be selling to. This is like a, this is like a huge thing, and a lot of companies don't do it well. And I think uh, uh, the other piece too is just like. Maybe it might be because of just missing familiarity. But I think the other thing too is there's so many people that are built into this vein of like, well, we have to focus on what's in our control. Sure, fine.
1: Sure. But
0: having these additional pieces of intelligence and information to be able to make really smart decisions and to be able to help place more strategically sound bets, who doesn't want to be you know, in that type of a camp? That's the, way to, that's the place to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need the visibility to it. I mean a lot of these companies are just slowly getting chipped away by these new entrants and it's like it's a big surprise yep like no well somebody new came along and they're doing this thing that used to be super hard and complicated and now they've made it super easy so they're winning share we all and and it's funny because if you if you turn it around we all act this way as consumers yep like you know but some other solution to some need that you have and it's suddenly really good you're gonna happily jump to it like we've all done this you know you were just describing you do that with your phone now
0: (laughs) that's right
1: phone and it's like that wasn't an option three years ago and it's like if you're the traditional phone companies and you're not paying attention to the new ways people might get phones you're gonna you're gonna miss a bit of how the competitive dynamics gonna play out in that market.
0: Yep, 100%. Jason, I'd love to i uh, move on to the second CX pillar of tools and um, pick your brand of this. So has there? I'd love to just kind of hear you talk about, well, number one, feel free to talk about the MPS Prism tool and some of the things that sure. you know, your team is doing for your clients. But I'd also love to know, like someone in your space, you've probably heard about so many different tools that companies are using to be able to manage their feedback or to be able to manage their MPS or their CSA. I'd love to kind of hear you spend a minute or two talking about um, what are some of the most common things that these companies that are typically looking for when it comes to a feedback tool. And then I'd love to kind of understand sort of how some of that intelligence, some, some of that information, maybe even some of the early customer interviews that you had when you were starting at PS Prism, how kind of people are thinking about what they think they need to be able to collect feedback from a tool's perspective.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Most organizations need a variety of things. So I don't think there's any one platform that solves all of these issues for companies. The way that I usually split it, there are tools that organizations are using to collect what I call unblinded feedback. Okay. So I know it's my customer, my customer knows it's me asking. I'm going to use it and be able to link it to the customer's data. and i'm going to be able to call the customer back this is the qualtrics medallia in moment mark like they're they're, most organizations have some version of that type of system which just enables them at either touch points or journeys or just relationship level pinging of their customers to say are you happy not happy and why in a way where you can create a conversation with your customer flowing off of it and so that is often a base platform that most organizations have. The type of stuff that Prism is doing sits to the side and it's the competitive lens on that data. So this is, and again, we try to get it so it goes down to the same level as like the journeys and the touch points that you would get out of the Qualtrics and Medallia systems, but I can give you a competitive lens on it. So does that journey or touch point matter more, matter differently than others? And within that journey, are you good or not good? Like not just looking at your own scores, but being able to compare it. So if you're a grocer and you think you're good at checkout, are you really good at checkout? And so your Qualtrics or Medallia stream can be telling you, oh, my, you know, my checkout score is better now than it was a month ago, but the PRISM data will tell you you're still 30 points behind the competition in checkout. And it's the combination of those two things that you need if you're going to optimize what should my checkout team be doing. Yep and so it's it's this portfolio of tools the other types of things a lot of organizations are also building tools and platforms that help them do things like read unstructured data think of it as what are my customers saying about me in reddit or uh-huh. on twitter yep. or out in the ether yep. and it's social like listening social listening platforms yep. sort of unstructured data ways of figuring out what are and and it's all in this construct of the customer feedback is sitting out there. It's sitting because they're going to respond because they know it's me. They're going to respond in a competitive way or they're just talking to their friends out in the world and we can figure out what they're saying. Yep. And all of that can get combined into a unified view of are our customers happy or not.
0: Yep. It's funny that you bring this up because I think this is another, such an easy place for our listeners to be thinking about. Um, I know with some of our clients at at CX Chronicles, Jason, we'll do inside of some of our audits or while we're doing some of our CX scorecards, one of the first things that we do, if there is not a tremendous amount of historical customer feedback for us to be able to start digging digging our claws into and starting to unpack, we do exactly what you just said, where we'll look at the identified competition who maybe does have a fair amount of either just social sentiment out there, meaning i.e. public places where you can, whether it's G2, Capterra, whether it's Yelp, whether it's Google reviews, you name it, guys. Like this, this feedback is sitting all over the ether to Jason's point. And we'll do like an assessment and an audit, even if it's just understanding keywords, key phrases, common points of feedback, whether common points of positive feedback, common points of negative feedback. And uh, and oftentimes we'll, we'll we'll furnish some of the stuff for our clients. And we'll say, hey, look, do these things feel right? Are are these things that we're already selling or marketing or trying to grab people's attention towards? And you'd be blown away by how many times it's like, wait a minute, where'd you find that? It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) I don't work at your company. I'm here to help you right now. You should right. go where this, this, but to your point, it's like so much of this information, it's our, it's in front of us guys, whether it's on our social channels, whether it's on some of these existing feedback forums, Reddit's a, I mean, just a, a, a ridiculous place. If you understand how to kind of dig in and extrapolate some of that type right. of, key, the, some of the keywords and the, just the general written context that's in there. Um, and frankly, guys, like, I know that there's all this talk. We haven't, it's amazing we've gotten this far into the show without bringing up AI, which I love, by the way, Jason, because I know, I don't know if you're like me where it's inspiring it uh, be the times, but like, if you're looking for ways where AI can help your CX and your CS game, let it do some of the stuff that traditionally people like Jason and Adrian had to do and set up, set up some basic logic to have AI do some of your scanning or your contextual right. understanding to be able to surface those insights and then get the human person back in the game to figure out how you're going to actually, actually TFCTAs and how you're going to explain some of those insights or some of those trends or some of those things to your employees, to your
1: prospects, yeah. and to your existing
0: customers, right? That's an easy place to get started. It's
1: an easy place. We also see a lot of companies, a lot of big companies have the social media stuff be as a way to just communicate with the company. Absolutely. Yep. Like you just ping them. You just yep. ping them in DMs. And it's like, that's actually easier than picking up the phone and calling them. 100%. It's like, I'm having a problem. Help me. Yep. And they will, like, there's so many, like, I one of the things I constantly raise with my clients is you want to think about this broad set of, you know, where is it your customers are, where is it that they're talking, where is it that they want to talk with you, and just enable sort of free flow of information across all those places, that's how to make this all healthy in the end.
0: 100%. Could not agree more. Um. Jason, I'd love to jump into the third CX pillar of process. Um, and I know that this might, may, might not be the most sexy of the four pillars, but I, I'm I'm one of those firm believers that you know, process becomes almost like a glue or a connective tissue or a ligament across the four pillars. I'd love to kind of hear how you think about process, not just at NPS Prism um, or, or, or at all the incredible work that you guys are doing at Bain, but like I'd love to kind of hear from you sort of some of the things that have worked really well in your career as far as wrangling process. So whether that's building out playbooks or managing the control and monitoring of your, 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 your SOPs or some of your engagement expectations, but how have you kind of thought about process when it comes to like building MPS Prism and how have you guys kind of leveraged your ability to understand your customers processes to be able to really kind of deliver some of these big results and show them different ways that they can really kind of have a better understanding of what their customer portfolio looks like and what their pipelines might potentially be yielding in the future. Talk about process.
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny. A lot of this has obviously been informed from how we do consulting work all along the way too. But process is not just the things that need to get done. They are who needs to be involved and who needs to sign off at all the various points along the way. And so good process is both sort of clarity on which things need to happen in which order and at what level of quality and how those things interact with each other. But is everybody who needs to agree agreeing at the right moment in time? And so like this comes up in the work that we do where we try to bring our first clients into the, what we call the design tent with us. OK, if the, our first clients in any one of our new product builds get some say as to how we're going to build the solution like that creates a, many more people interactions in the design process than we would have to do if we were just doing this ourselves. And the key parts to that are who at the client is going to care, like as we make these decisions, who needs to know that these are the decisions that are being made? and who is going to be mad if they weren't given sort of the time early enough to jump in and say something yep. and this has always been even when i was you know in all the client work that i've done sort of understanding the people process sort of who needs who needs to see what when who needs to agree on whatever final answer we're deciding on and that stuff matters even more than just the just the mechanical steps of somebody's got to write some code and then somebody's got to test the code and somebody's got to execute the code like there's all of the people parts of that process I've come to learn are super important and when you're missing those you just end up that's when you disappoint people that's when the product ends up landing they're like well if you had told me that this was what it was going to be I would have told you something different it's sad we didn't have that conversation three months ago (laughs) exactly the type of conversation that's what we're trying to avoid it happens all the time too you're right it happens all the time it happens all the time because there's some sometimes they're just not engaged fully but you, you always have to give them there's like a you know here is the moment you know if you don't agree this is the time to tell me because this gets locked in from here forward and you just have to build in the right time into your process, a lot of times that stuff gets dropped because people end up short on time. And then the thing that goes first is, well, we didn't you know, check with people. Yep. And like that's when you start to break things and end up with unhappy team members and unhappy clients. And that's what we try to avoid.
0: I love that you bring up that last part. I love that you bring the EX side of the game into this right there, which is your spot on, man. Like setting those expectations, uh, focusing on and investing in alignment early and clarity, just general mission and team clarity. It's um not only is it gonna do wonders for your CX performance, but it's literally some of the foundational parts of employee experience where people they know who's on the team. They know where the damn boat is going. They've signed up to be going north instead of south. They understand their position in the boat, whether it's in the, the mechanic room or whether it's up on uh, on service and service, like that stuff is is so, so important. I I, I, I see this all the time in the show, but like one of the things that we see time and time again at CXC with our clients when it gets into customer journey mapping is exactly what you just said, where we'll start to unpack these areas where there is clearly consternation. There's clearly division. And then there's clearly um, almost like frustration or just general confusion around who the hell owns what. And I know that I get, I get it. This stuff can be complex and like all of us, it doesn't matter what type of business or how big our business are. Every business has got its own anomalies that are can be difficult to navigate, difficult to understand. I get it. But the one thing that's not difficult is creating at least early version or v1 lines in the sand of areas of ownership or areas of accountability responsibility and authority which is what i heard you say with your last comment they're like the faster you can tee up areas of accountability responsibility authority and you sort of know who's kind of supposed to be doing what with it number one it's not always going to be perfect in every business it takes time and it takes years to get this stuff really really well oiled but like people Uh, And great employees and A players, like extremely talented, intelligent people, they expect that stuff right out of the gates, right? And every single week or every single month or every single quarter, every single year that goes by where they're not getting that, that's adding a lot of fuel to the consternation fire, right? And that's typically where some of this underlying stuff can start to get out of control before you even realize, before you even realize it's a big problem.
1: Yeah, and the same with, you know, the goal and customer experience is you don't want your unhappy customers looking around. Yep. Alternatives the same thing applies to your employees you don't want your good employees spending a good part of their day figuring out how to leave you yeah and it's yeah. the same the same types of things that are frustrating your customers are frustrating your employees and so the same hygiene on good CX gives you good ex
0: totally, totally and the same uh,
1: types of things on you know, if you go to an executive and you say, do you know which customers are happy and not happy? They should also know which employees are happy and not happy. Yeah. And if they don't know the answer to that, that's also a problem. Yeah. Like, who do you think's looking? <laughs> it's <an> important, <laughs> important test. I 100% agree. Who's in the market now? Yep. <laughs> it's fun. I,
0: I I always, it's funny. I have always kind of told clients, um you know, in, in our game, like, It's a fantastic, understanding sort of your employee feedback is a phenomenal way to almost validate or vet what you're seeing, hearing and feeling on the customer feedback side. Because if you've got compounding points of feedback from both your customers and your employees, I don't know about you, I'd probably start to prioritize some of that into my my OKRs personally, because it almost, not always, not always, I know what some of the listeners are thinking, it's very, it's very, it can be easy to kind of chase things that maybe really don't ultimately matter that are bothering a handful of employees. I understand that. But when you've got like common consternation points that are being reflected in your customer feedback and your employee feedback, there's probably some some realness there. There's probably or or it at least gives you the grounds to stand up some type of a committee or some type of a task force to maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive or a deeper search around what type of variables are really kind of causing that. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, Jason, I'd love to dive into the the fourth and the final six pillar of feedback. And I know we've been talking about feedback the whole show, but I I, I was excited to kind of chat with you about this because this is, you're somebody who has spent a ton of time thinking about this more lit and then you've just set the stage perfectly for me. Can you give us like, maybe um, give us like a a nugget of wisdom around, I'm going to break this question into two parts. I'd love to hear some of the things that you would wanna share with our listeners around who don't know a ton about this yet, who aren't super far along in the way that they're capturing and, 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 and assessing and then acting upon the feedback. Um, one or two um, points of wisdom that you'd give our listeners for how they can get better at the customer feedback, and then one or two points of wisdom for how they can get better at leveraging and acting upon their employee feedback.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. on On the customer feedback, you know, the places where I see most organizations fall off these days is that they in in some ways they're measuring customer feedback based off of the way the experience is supposed to work, as opposed to thinking about the times that the way they've designed things for their customers don't work and how that gets rescued. And so this shows up for our clients in several ways. Number one... One of the things that a lot of our clients end up having to get good measures on that they never had are customers who have to switch channel to get something done. Yep. So how often do your customers try to do something digitally and it fails, and then they end up having to call you? It's one of the biggest sources of frustration across, and think about it from a customer experience, it's a big thing. Most organizations, if they have fairly immature measurement systems Aren't tracking the channel jumpers is the way that I would say it. And the way that that shows up is that that customer who failed in digital, and then calls, they end up in their call center listening stream. Okay. And they look like unhappy call center customers when they're actually unhappy digital customers. Yep. And so it's sort of it's a it's a mismatch of they're they're not exactly sure what they're looking for, and it sends them in the wrong direction. The other type of thing like that is there are some customers who are mad at you, but they're not telling you. They are sort of silently mad. We talked about cable before we jumped on here. There are people whose cable goes out who've decided it's not worth the trouble to call, and they just wait for it to miraculously turn back on. 100%, yep. Those customers don't show up in a cable company's listening system because if you haven't bothered to call them, They don't think you noticed that your cable went out. And so there are these giant populations of people who feel like their cable breaks all the time who are not in their customer data. And it's the same thing. It's just who are your silently unhappy customers and sort of know who those people are. And again, on the EX side, it's sort of the same. Again, it's the, do you know who your valuable employees are who are silently mad, like, are they telling you? Do they feel like they have healthy feedback channels? Like, sometimes they're silent because they're nervous that if they say the wrong things about their line boss that they'll get in trouble or whatever. Yep. They don't feel comfortable letting you know that they're not happy. And it's the same way with unhappy customers who are silent unhappy employees who are silent are just as likely to leave as the ones who are noisy. Yep. And if you're not sort of attuned to them and create the, you know, and this is why you have to create healthy pathways for people to give you feedback internally where they feel comfortable giving it to you. 100%. And, and, but it's to solve exactly that problem that you shouldn't be blind to it. And so I see that all the time where And the companies, they just get themselves happy. They're like, well, all the people we asked said they were happy. (laughs) And the problem is that's not usually enough. And it's like, and that leads them to not be fixing the things they're supposed to be fixing. Their scores are great, Yep. but they're not, again, at the end of the day, the idea is you need to fix the things that need to be fixed and you need to go invent the things that need to be invented. And if you're not getting honest feedback, across all the populations that should be giving it to you what you're doing is incomplete
0: yep yep well said my friend it's amazing and i think for our listeners today there's so many different takeaways here but like the bottom line is you should always be listening always be asking always be pushing and i think personally and i mean not everyone's gonna agree with me on this but i think you should be pushing real hard i've worked with a number of different companies in a number of different industries where technically the boots on the ground and the ex side actually held more of the potential magic sauce than anything on the CX, be only for one reason those were the guys and the gals that were actually inside of the customer space especially for some of our friends who have outside sales organizations or outside service organizations those guys and gals are literally walking into your customers houses they're seeing opportunities they're seeing challenges they're probably to your point they're hearing things i know to your your your, your joke about my 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 wonderful cable example before today's call but like that guy, I guarantee, J- Jason. That guy that came to our house to help me with my last problem I was telling him about with the connectivity issue, he heard everything I had to say about my cable it was Everything. None, none of that got through. None of that went to the cable company. And it's funny, I did ask him because this is obviously our trade. This is the thing that you and I both love to do, uh, yeah. you know, professionally. Like yeah. I asked him, I "Go, hey man, just out of curiosity, will any of that make its way back to your manager?" He goes, um, Good "No, no, no." He said, like, "Good, I'll send you the, I'll send you the survey when I wrap up." And I was like that's me you should have put a camera in my face in this and brought it straight into the executive
1: i did this it was with a different cable company than the one we were talking about earlier but i i once like it was i had moved to a new place i had gotten the triple play so i also had a landline which i was hardly using then like a year in the landline breaks and the process of getting it fixed was way too hard and i never used it so I did what I officially thought was downgrade to a double play, which was supposed to save me like, you know, 20 bucks a month. Yep. And then I moved another year, year and a half later. And the person's like, yeah, I'm happy to help you cancel your triple play. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I remember, and this was a company that I'd been doing business with for 20 years. 20- Okay. And I'm like, okay. So you tell me you've stolen two hundred dollars from me. Basically, <laughs> what this month. I said, I'm not willing to spend another minute solving this problem. But unless somebody calls me and offers to rectify the two hundred dollars that you've clearly stolen from me, I will yep. never use you again. Yep. I never heard from you. Yep. And it's I do amazing. not use them today. It's
0: amazing. It's <laughs> amazing, man um jason before i let you this has been absolutely fantastic number one thank you so much for coming on the cx chronicles podcast sharing your story giving all these incredible um just 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 bits of wisdom and best practices to the cx nation before i let you go man where can people find out more about you where can people get in touch with your team at nps prism
1: yeah so npsprism.com is our website and they can find me jason barrow uh they can find me they can find my team happy to give them visibility to the type of data we already have and type of data that we could have
0: and we'll be sure to share that in in the show notes but jason it's been our absolute pleasure having you on the show man i wish you the very best of luck in the future and huge thanks again for coming on the cx chronicles podcast thanks so much for having me thank you for listening to another episode of the cx chronicles podcast We're thrilled to have you as a part of the CX Nation tuning in to customer-focused business leaders from across the world. Be sure to check out the CXC website, and as always, find us on any of your favorite podcast players, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks so much for making this show a reality and being a part of the CX Nation. And as always, folks, remember to make happiness a habit.